Now, uh, let me go ahead and serve you by way of the preaching of the word. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 was a special psalm for me personally. This was actually my candidating sermon last year um, in Vienna. And I preached this sermon thinking about the people because the church is a transient church. Uh, there are people who come and go every year. We said a goodbye to about 20 people in June, and we're about to welcome 30 new people from all over the world, usually, um, that come into the church. Like we get a lot of diverse people in Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington. They come through a lot just because the UN is, is based in both places. And so this psalm, you know, I never thought about, I mean, we always, as preachers, we, we preach the text to ourselves, but this year, I've preached this text to myself over and over again. And there are times when I wake up in the quietness of the night, and I'd open to Psalm 90, and I would just pray this psalm, because we left everything that we've known. But this is the only home that we've, we've, we've lived in, here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so after 30-plus years, we left our home. And this prayer is so special to us. And so I get to serve you by way of preaching this text. And so let me read it for us. Psalm 90, starting with verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you now with this text really on my heart, but ready to be preached to your people. And so I pray, Father, that you will humble my heart that the words of my mouth will be pleasing to you. May you soften our hearts, open our eyes, really to the beauty of your word, and allow this, allow this text to speak to us today as a church. Lord, we give you all the glory. 
All these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the past three weeks have um, been fun for our family. We arrived on July 1st, and we, we love being back home here in the States. Uh, just to give you a glimpse of you know, what has happened the past three weeks, uh, we've gained about, I've gained about maybe five pounds. Um, Americans, you guys eat a lot, and um, we are thankful for all the food but we can't wait to get back to walking around town and um, losing some weight. Uh, but we're thankful for you guys feeding us. Um, you guys have, have thrown parties, and we've met with a, a variety of people. Uh, we stayed in about four different houses. We're thankful for our generous hosts, especially those who are here at Gateway that have hosted us. Uh, we've been in three different time zones, uh, European uh, time zone, Pacific time here, and then we were in Hawaii for about a week. We've been in two different countries, three if you count our short layover in Istanbul, and we have one big happy family of three. And so as you can imagine, we miss our house. I miss my bed. But here's what I've been pondering on in light of being away. Not being home puts eternal things into perspective. In fact, leaving the only home we've ever known 10 months ago puts everything into a greater perspective. Meaning, as Christians, we don't have a permanent home. For my family, it reminds us that we will never have a permanent home here on earth. And we're okay with that. I think it's good to be reminded that our final resting place is not here on earth. And so as we come to this psalm, Moses knew this reality, and it could be the very reason why he wrote this particular psalm, to put things into eternal perspective. And so before we jump right into our passage, I want to give a brief overview on this person, Moses. I know most of you who know who Moses is. In fact, I realize uh, Chris Kiyagiri preached on Numbers 21 about a month ago, and so you have an idea of Moses. You know, Moses was, was God's servant, if, if not the most famous servant or leader in the Old Testament. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, including Psalm 90. The account of Moses' life could be recorded in, or was recorded in Exodus through Deuteronomy, and it gives us a glimpse, really, of his intimacy with God. But I think most of us know this, the most known story of Moses' life was him leading God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. And if we're familiar with the story, it's not as easy as it sounds. Because in the book of Numbers, we find Israel's disobedience in light of God's blessing. And this is where God's people find themselves wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, studies reveal what would normally take two weeks on foot ended up being 40 years in the wilderness. Furthermore, commentaries mention that Moses wrote this psalm either while he was in the wilderness or as he was reflecting back on his time in the wilderness. But whenever this psalm was, was written, I want us to think of the larger context of Psalm 90, where the thought of the, the Israelites wandering in the desert is a reminder that no matter where we are in this world, this place is temporary. 
Therefore, let us understand that Moses knew how temporary life here on earth was. And when you compare it to God, and Psalm 90 gives us evidence of that. And so here's my aim this morning. My aim for all of us is this. Let us remember our frailty in light of God's internality. Let us remember our frailty in light of God's internality. So let's jump right in. You know, like, like many passages in the Bible, it starts with God. And that brings us to our first point this morning. Remember the internality of God, verses 1 to 2. Remember the internality of God. The first reminder we find in our text is that God is our home. Look at verse 1. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, again, as I just mentioned, it's, it's only fitting that Moses begins his prayer with God. And that's important. Why is that? Well, the beginning of this prayer is a reflection of Moses and his understanding of God. If you recall, Moses was the one that knew God so intimately that he conversed with, with God face to face, so to speak. And therefore, we know that, that Moses had a strong sense of God's splendor. He had a strong sense of his greatness. Not only that, Moses witnessed God's presence from generation to generation during and after the great exodus from Egypt. I mean, you guys know this. He witnessed the deliverance of the Israelites out of slavery. He witnessed God's continuous blessings to the Israelites in the desert. But he also witnessed disobedience and rebellion of God's people. And as I just, and as I just mentioned, he wandered in the desert with them for 40 years. And so keep this in mind as we go through this psalm. Now, Imagine moving from place to place, never settling, no, no Airbnb to go to, no, no tent after a long day or a long week. And so Moses knew what it was like to not have a permanent home. And in saying this, Moses understood that as the people wandered in the wilderness, the only comfort of a permanent resting place could only be found in God. That phrase, dwelling place, is translated as refuge or as shelter. And in some translations, it's translated as trust. And so we've seen this, this word a number of times throughout the Psalms. However, one commentary puts it this way, and I think it, it hits the point. It hits the mark. He's saying the Hebrew word goes much deeper than this. It actually could be, this, this Hebrew word could be translated as home. And so Moses Moses' prayer begins with saying, Lord, you have been our home as we've wandered from generation to generation. Now, this might sound strange to some of you, but to a people wandering for 40 years, they took comfort in these words. Imagine 40 years without a place to call home. But listen, dear friends, they have a home, and it wasn't a tent. And it doesn't have three bedrooms or two bathrooms. That's a house. The home I'm referring to is a spiritual home found in God. And no place on earth could ever compare to the home that we as believers have in God. 
And this home is not temporary. Look at verse 2. We find that this home is eternal. God is eternal. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is past, present, and future. And this home in God has no time limit. There are no years, months, days, or hours, or minutes. The psalmist is not only saying that God is our home, but he is our eternal home. And so you want a forever home, this is it. And that's what we find Moses pointing to in verse 2. Before God created the heavens and the earth, a place for us to reside, he was always there. Now, it's interesting that the writer of Genesis, Moses, is hinting to the creation account here. I mean, Moses would know verse, uh, Psalm 90, verse 2, because he wrote about it in Genesis 1. And so we need to understand that the Creator did not give us a permanent home on earth, but gave us an eternal home in Himself from the very beginning. Therefore, as a people, we may move from time to time or place to place, yet I remind you that as a people of God, we all share a common home. Geographically, we may be apart from loved ones who are believers, but know that God will call us to our permanent home one day. And in this home, there will be no more goodbyes or potluck send-offs. In this home, there will be no more tears. And so the reminder here as Christians is that we will never be homeless. No matter where you are, know that God offers you something better. He offers you the best home, himself. This heavenly home will never crumble by earthquakes or storms or even wars. This home will never be full of animosity. This home will never be full of, of marital strife or tensions between parents and children. This home will, will, will never be full of illness or even death. And so we may be hundreds of thousands of miles away from other Christians, Christian brothers and sisters like the Mohicas in Bolivia like Roman and his family in Ukraine, but we share one eternal home, and he is God. And Moses knew that despite all the wandering, nothing compares to seeing God's internality in light of being in the wilderness. So for some of you, you may feel like you're wandering right now, maybe wandering in darkness, maybe the darkness from yesterday is carrying over today, and you can't face tomorrow. And you've been wandering from one place to another. But listen, you are here today, and the church is a glimpse of that heavenly home. And this psalm is a promise that God offers you an eternal resting place. So hold on to that promise as we go through this psalm today because it's about to take a bleak turn in the next couple stanzas. First, we are called to remember the internality of God, but second, we are um, called to remember our frailty. Remember the frailty of man. Now here in verse three, Moses changes the tone of his prayer. And the first thing that we find is that man is, temp is, is temporary, is temporal, man is dust. Look at verse three. 
It says, we are dust. You return man to dust. And that actually is translated as crushed matter. That's how delicate we are. And so we have to think through, you know, and ask ourselves, what, what is Moses doing? Right? Moses is historically tracing through Genesis once again. He's tracing through the history of God, creation, the fall, Israel, up into his own history. In Genesis 2-7, it says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And so what happens next in Genesis chapter 3? The fall. Adam and Eve sin. The curse is upon them. And then we all sort of should know this, maybe. Uh, Genesis 3.19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. This is God speaking. He says this, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Our bodies are but crush crushing matter. We are dust. And so look at the picture here. The great and the everlasting God compared to the frail human being. That's the picture here. So what happens next? Well, Moses not only speaks to our frailty, he points to our limitations. In other words, the second thing we find is that man is limited. Man is limited. In Genesis 5, we find the descendants of Adam to Noah. And as a kid, I used to love reading um, Genesis 5 because it had you know, people in terms of how long they lived. And it doesn't come close to, you know, uh, the, as we compare our lives today to what it was back in Genesis 5. But here's, let me just read a few here. Adam lived 930 years. It's a long time. Jared, he lived 962 years. But there's one man that beats them all. It's Methuselah. Methuselah lived 969 years. And so Moses was not pulling some random number here. He was comparing the longest living men in the history of the Bible to how we should see our own lives. Look at verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. And so a thousand years is nothing to God, and it shouldn't be to us. A thousand years are but a day to God, or even less than that. That, that phrase, a watch in the night, is literally translated as, as three or four hours. And so think about this. A thousand years to God is as long as a baseball game or your favorite Marvel movie. Essentially, Moses is saying, your life is short. But he keeps going. He continues with these images found in verse, verses 5 to 6. And you want to know how limited we are here on earth? Look at these images. He says it's like a flood. Life is there one minute, then it's gone like a flood. It's safe to assume that Moses was reflecting back to the flood. And if you've ever seen images or videos of floods, you'll understand the power in this description. What happens when, when floods come? Right? The floods are so strong, it'll take you away in minutes. And so that's our time span. It's gone in minutes, according to God. Then he goes on to say it's a dream. How many of you remember your dream last night? 
Anyone? Okay, good, because I don't. But that's, like, that's, that's how life is. Right? We dream about something, and then in the morning, we just forget about it. It's a blur. And if you still don't get it, Moses offers up the image of grass here. And now, it's not like the grass that comes in the springtime and is there throughout summer, like it is here in California. He talks about grass in the Middle East, where at the night there may be some drops of rain and pockets of grass will grow. But as soon as the scorching sun rises, it dies into the evening. You see, Moses is saying, our lives are like that. Our lives are but a flood, a dream, a patch of grass that grows and dies within a day. But listen here. As we move to our next stanza, know that our greatest problem is not our frailty, dear friends. Yes, we are frail. Our time is limited here on earth, but that is not our greatest problem. Moses points to our greatest problem in verses 7 to 11. Our greatest problem is sin. And that's a terrible reality. Moving to our next point, Moses wants us to remember the sinfulness of man. Remember the sinfulness of man. Now, let me remind you again about Moses and his experience. Studies show that 1.2 million people died in the 40 years that they were in the wilderness. If you spread that over 40 years, that's about 30,000 a year, 82 people a day. However, Scripture tells us that it, it didn't exactly uh, mathematically you know, happen that way. But I'm mentioning that because Moses saw death. 1.2 million. He saw the frailty of man. And so our life is limited because of our fallen nature. In other words, we are frail because of our sinfulness. And if you recall Chris's sermon on Numbers last month, we remember the rebellious nature of the Israelites. Moses saw the sinfulness of the Israelites, including his own sin against God. And because of sin, they and we deserve judgment. And that's the first thing we find in verses 7 to 8, that God will judge our sin. Essentially, Moses is saying that God is a God of wrath and that he sees our sins, even the secret ones we try to hide. But don't be disheartened that God is a God of wrath. The wrath of God balances the divine perfection of God's attributes. You see, God's holiness allows us to understand the importance of God's wrath. D.A. Carson says this, and I quote, God's wrath is not bad temper. It is not as though he is losing it, but it is a function of his holiness. And if he were entirely unwrathful in that understanding of wrath, then there would be no judgment and no consequences for sin of any sort, end quote. And so here are three thoughts I want us to note on God's wrath, okay? The wrath of God is righteous, the wrath of God is righteous. In Romans 2, 5, it says this, but because of your, your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Second, the wrath of God is consistent. It's both in the Old and the New Testament, and it's witnessed throughout the Bible. 
But here's the good news. The wrath of God is satisfied in Jesus Christ. If the wrath of God scares you, I want you to understand that the wrath of God is good. Because God's wrath was satisfied by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if, if we look at Psalm 90 through, through the lens of the gospel, here's what we find. We find that Jesus left his heavenly home. Jesus left his refuge, his dwelling place. Jesus went through the wilderness on our behalf. He was beaten, he was flogged, he was abandoned. Jesus, who was fully divine and fully human, he experienced the frailty of human life, yet he did not sin. All of our iniquities and secret sins were nailed to the cross where he experienced the wrath of God for us. And so if you peel back layer after layer of God's attributes, which include God's wrath, at the center of it all is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality of death should force us to see the reality of sin and that one day there will be judgment. Moses is saying God will judge our sins and again, we can never hide our sins from him. And we continue on in verses 9 to 11. Once again, God will measure our lives. God will measure our lives. You see, Moses reflects once again on our limitations. Keep in mind that, keeping in mind that we will soon be, look at the end of verse 10, gone and we fly away. That's strange. If you read this prayer over and over, you really sense the emotions of Moses' prayer here because he's sort of all over the place. And that's why I love this prayer. If you haven't noticed already, this is not a perfectly outlined prayer. It was hard for me to outline this prayer. I mean, he goes from limitations to sinfulness back to thinking through the limitations of man. And so Moses' heart is on display here. His prayer is not outlined. I mean, we don't go to God and say, Lord, here is my prayer, point one. Moses is all over the place for a reason. He's calling out to God. And so it really, Moses' heart reflects our hearts. And if you get a chance, read or pray this out loud, and you will see yourself. This psalm is like, is like a mirror where we see our own limitations and rebellious hearts. And so, Lord willing, if you get to see 70 or 80 years of age, you will look back at life and echo these words of Moses. Look at verse 11. Then Moses asked the most pressing, and I would say the most devastating question. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Look, this is a rhetorical question, but it's, but it's a warning. According to the Israelites in the book of Numbers and throughout their history, they did not consider God from time to time. A lot of them never considered their own sin toward God, and this may sound like some of us today. So let this be a warning. What we find here is that Moses is pressing into us to consider our sinfulness in light of God's power and wrath. So let me ask you, dear friends, do you consider your frailty in light of eternity? 
Do you consider your sinfulness in light of God's holiness? Do you consider the power of his anger, his wrath? To Moses, to Moses, he was reflecting back during his time in the wilderness. And so if we think about the answer to this question, it would be a resounding no. They didn't consider God. Because the first generation out of Egypt didn't even make it to the promised land. But thankfully, Moses doesn't end here with the question in verse 11. He actually ends with the plea to remember God's mercy, to remember the mercy of God. And this is our fourth and concluding point. Moses concludes his prayer with a list of imperatives directed toward God. Now, here are the requests. It's a string of prayer requests for himself and God's people. And so look at verse 12. And it starts with what? It says, teach us. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, verse 12 is really a continuation of verse 11, meaning Moses is saying this, as we consider your anger and wrath in this shortened life, in knowing that, teach us to number our days. And so we should want to consider every year, every month, every day that we may get a heart of wisdom. Have you ever used the phrase, it feels like yesterday? You know, it feels like yesterday, maybe some of us were, were finishing school. feels like yesterday, you know, maybe some of us were just starting our careers or starting families or getting married. I mean, it feels like yesterday our daughter turned one, but now she just turned six. And so this prayer is a constant reminder that our years feel like days. And so we need to make each day count. You know, today I'm 38. I'll be celebrating 10 years, or we'll be celebrating 10 years of marriage this year in November. We still have our tiny little family. But it feels like a couple days ago I was just 18 where I became a believer, was starting university. Yesterday, I was 28. I was preparing for marriage. Felt like we had our whole lives ahead of us. Tomorrow, I'll be 48. In a couple days, I'll be 58. In a week, I may be in the presence of the Lord. And so make each day count. Plead with God to, to, to teach us, to number our days. I mean, it feels like yesterday, my time at Gateway had just started. I remember arriving, I mean, 2013 here, having coffee with Rod and just thinking through the next steps of ministry and, and the elders took me and, and us under their wings. They shepherded us. I was an intern here at 20, in 2014. I started full-time here at 2015. Those years feel like days.
This place will always be special to us. You taught us to number our days, to make each day count here at Gateway. And so Moses' prayer request could not be more fitting for our lives today as it was for the Israelites. But the prayer requests continue. Look at verse 13. It says, return to us. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Here you feel the emotion of Moses once again. He's asking, how long? Where are you? Why? It sounds like our prayers, doesn't it? In fact, it sounds like Job. You guys been going through Job? Wonderful book. I mean, Moses is calling out to God and saying, return, have mercy on your people. I mean, read this over and over, and you feel Moses. And it's okay to pray like this. Moses did it, Job did it, and we're going to do it time and time and again throughout our lives. Verse 14, his prayer is to satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. And so you see the contrast here really in the entirety of this psalm. Remember in verse 6, it says, in the morning we're renewed. But in evening we fade. And so when the darkness of sin and frailty lifts, the dawn breaks and a new day arrives. The morning signifies a new day. That's what he's saying, satisfy us in the morning. Moses is asking for a new beginning in life, a brighter day. But he's asking to be satisfied with what? Steadfast love. And so again, this phrase reminds me of Gateway because there were a couple years where we were going through this phrase, his hesed love. It's God's loyal love to his people. And so as I reflect back really at our time here, God has been loyal to Gateway. He's been loyal to our family. And I'm sure he will continue to do so for many more years or days to come. Verse 15, rejoice. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. You see, Moses did not want a perfect life. He knew he would see affliction. And so what Moses is asking in verse 15 is for blessing and adversity. Why is that? Do you ask for blessing and adversity? Moses always wanted to remind, be reminded that he needed God. And in the face of suffering, that's when you notice you need God the most. And that's where you're going to cling to him the most. And if you don't believe me, wait till you get to the end of Job. I don't want to spoil it for you. And lastly, we have the last two verses here. Verses 16 and 17. And here are the crowning requests from Moses. Moses is praying, let your work be seen in our work and make it count. This is the prayer request of all families. Is that everything that we're doing here in this life is not in vain. And so the thought of living in a transitory world, especially for the Israelites, 
led them to pray that the next generation will see God's power through their work. And so how often do we pray for God's power to be seen in our children or to the next generation? Moses' prayer is that all the work that they did would not be in vain. He was saying, Lord, allow us, allow the next generation to see your glory. And so, church, let me ask you, was Moses' work in vain? No. Moses became the most prominent figure in Israel's history. His work, his ministry was carried over to the next generation and then some. God showed his favor to Moses and those who came after him. Therefore, in light of these verses, my encouragement to you is simple. Really, just continue what you're doing. Continue being the church. Continually faithfully serving your homes, faithfully serving in your jobs, faithfully serving here in the church. Be faithful to where God calls you, whether it's here or it's another place. And let me encourage you that your work is not in vain, dear friends. You may not see the fruit immediately, but that's okay. Allow me to be honest, and I've said it already, but we are fruit, they and I are, we are fruit of your ministry. We have benefited from your ministry to us. You trained us, you sent us, and now we are doing work, the work of ministry in another country. The work you're doing in Bolivia and Ukraine and what's going on over there, that is a fruit of Gateway's ministry. And so continue doing what you are doing. Your labor is not in vain. You are kingdom-minded, and God has established the work of your hands, and he will continue to do so. Let me conclude with a couple of thoughts. You know, my daughter, when, when she was a toddler, um, sometimes we'd be, we'd go on long road trips, and um, you know after a while she'll start to get weary, and she'll you know start to cry like all to- all toddlers do, and you could you could I remember just hearing her in the back in her car seat just saying look I I just want to be home, I just want to be home. And so my wife would calmly tell her you know Piper, we're almost home. And Thea would point to various landmarks as we were driving, as we were getting closer to home. Thea would say, look, look, Piper, do you recognize the, the McDonald's? Do you recognize this, the Safeway? And as we entered to, through our old apartment complex, there were these big trees. And Thea would say, look, look, Piper, do you recognize the big tree? The big trees? We're almost home. And so Piper would respond in just her whimpering cry, Okay, we're almost home. You know, we as Christians sometimes act the same way through the pains and the struggles of life. We all cry out to God that we just want to be home. And God, by virtue of his word, reveals to us that we are almost home. And that Christ 
will be the everlasting prize. And so, friends, let me remind you once again to remember that we are almost home and that God is our everlasting home. Let us pray. Father God, we are, again, so just grateful and humbled by your word, by your servant Moses. And so, Lord, as we read through these psalms, we know that there are many people um, that have gone to be with the Lord, uh, that have moved away, that we are apart from, from family and friends who are believers. And there is always sadness when we had to say goodbye. But, Lord, this psalm is a great reminder that we all share a common home in you. And so, Lord, during times of sadness, times of pain, let us go to your word. Let us go to you and call out to you and cry to you and plead with you. We're so thankful for Gateway Bible Church and their ministry to us. And so we ask you so kindly that you will bless them for many more years to come, that you will be with Rod, that you will be the elders, you will be the leaders and all the people here that you will build up a church to be a light in this city and around the Bay Area. We pray, Father, that you will call people unto yourself, that you will use this church to reach the lost. And we pray, Father, that the people here would be able to call Gateway Bible Church their home. Lord, thank you again for the ministry of the Gateway Bible Church. Bless them and keep them. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.